like I think the reality of Monero mining, I, look, I haven't looked into it in quite a while, but I think there's this kind of utopian vision that, you know, Monero mining would be everyone just turning on their CPUs and we'll have this like kind of, you know, party where it's all of the users that are mining. But I think you still have a high amount of centralization around mining farms in particular areas where electricity is extremely cheap and hardware can be got uh, extremely cheap as well. So that would be kind of closer to the sources, um, closer to kind of cheaper electricity sources and cheaper hardware sources. So I think you probably still see some um, centralization around the Asia um, area, which tends to be the area where regulations are more uh, like stronger against, um, against privacy. Um, so what you may see is some of those miners turning off their hash power and the hash power for the network being reduced, which makes it potentially easier to attack in the future. Um, but I think what's, what we're more likely to see if, if there is a real move against privacy coins is an abandonment from institutional actors. Um, so those exchanges that do still serve, um, Monero transactions kind of moving away uh, from Monero transactions. I think that's probably the more likely effect rather than it destroying the mining network completely because, you know, there's always people that will be willing to risk. This week on Monero Talk is sponsored by Cake Wallet. Store, send, receive, and exchange your Monero and Bitcoin safely on iOS and Android too. Cake Wallet is open source and you always control your own keys. And by Stealth EX, an instant exchange where privacy is the top concern. Go to StealthEX.io to instantly exchange between Monero and 450 plus assets without having to create an account or register and with no limits. Making Stealth EX a simple way to purchase Monero with crypto anonymously. Monero Talk is also made possible from contributions by viewers and listeners like you. And supporting us is easier than ever. By typing in MoneroTalk.crypto in your Monero.com or Cake Wallet send address field to send us a tip. This week on Monero Talk. Douglas Duman interviews Key Jeffries, CTO of Session and Oxen. The two discuss the recent improvements and new features of the Session messaging app, how self-hosting data changes content moderation, the architecture of Oxen and how it relates to Monero, proof of stake versus proof of work, minor centralization and the risk of 51% attacks, the potential implications of a regularly crackdown on privacy technologies, the different use cases of LokiNet, and much more. Monero Talk starts now. All right. Key, what's going on, man? Welcome to Monero Talk. Yeah, great to be here. Or great to be back as well, because I had a look at the... Um recording from last time it was nearly a year ago so yeah it's good to be back and uh tell your audience what i've been up to and um talk about privacy which is always good to talk about now uh, yeah i know we had you on like a year ago on monero toby but i think we had you on like a long time ago on monero talk right like, yeah it may have been like uh, when first launch type thing or like you were working on loki net at the time yeah, we're still working on looking at, but yeah, I think we, I mean, you were saying before, I think we met in 2019 at uh, like some sort of consensus related party. Um, yeah, that was the, the Monero after party, the New York City Monero after party where people yeah. bought their tickets anonymously with Monero, putting their emails in the payment IDs. Oh man, <laughs> <laughs> we were so young and so dumb. Yeah. 
I still remember you had a big LED Monero related sign, I think, in the room as well. Yeah, that's that was fun. Yeah. That was a fun party, right? <laughs> that was good. Yeah, there were a lot of uh, a lot of the Monero <clears throat> like people were there as well. I think Ricardo was around at that point at the party. I think. Yeah, Ricardo was there. I think Ricardo was there. Or he was. Are you? You're coming down to Monero Topia, right? I mean, we we have you down as a speaker. All right, because yeah. you're, you're coming far from far. Yep. <laughs> all the way from fucking melbourne australia to mexico city so um very bit of a journey but yeah i'll be there very excited and you, you guys are having like didn't you just have like a your version of a hurricane over there a cyclone yeah yeah <laughs> yeah did you, you guys have one i don't know i don't follow the news oh my god uh, <laughs> I, I just heard it on like bloomberg radio on my way over here I yeah thought... usually they happen up in uh up in queensland um okay or like Western Australia or something like that. But yeah, so, dude, I'm looking at the news now. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, they said Tropical Cyclone Ilsa downgraded. Okay, so maybe okay, one of these yeah, yeah. yeah, it's in Western Australia, which Australia is fucking huge, so. <laughs> yeah, you, you don't really, like us Americans don't really. Um. So yeah, man, so w- when we met the first time or when you were on and then on Monero Talk the first time, is that when did Oxen launch? Did it launch start as Oxen or did you start? I think you were originally working on LokiNet, right? Well, yeah, the, the coin project originally started as Loki. Um, right. LokiNet is a pro- LokiNet is a kind of a different project we've been working on under the Loki banner. Um, but yeah, in 2018, we started under the name Loki. Um, and then probably in 2019, late 2019, we launched Session. Um, we were working on LokiNet at that point. But um, I think it was around 2020 that we rebranded um, from the coin being called Loki to Oxen. Um, but we kept the whole old chain history and all of that. Um, so the chain has effectively been going since I think mid 2018, and the project was founded uh, early 2018. Right. What does Oxen mean? Well, uh, I mean, oxens are related to wolves. So oh, it's, it's, like, it's the oxen animal. Okay. I, I was yeah, sure. yeah. Like something else. I, I wasn't sure. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. Why did you guys, any, any reason why you named it after an oxen? Well, I think at that point we wanted to get away from the name Loki because that was when the Marvel like series was like really kicking off and was really destroying our searchability. Like before <laughs> then you used to be able to search up Loki and come up with the coin, but like you know, when Marvel watches a TV show that's also called Loki, it really makes it much harder to find uh, so stuff like, about it. He's Googling oxen, so we'll, we'll use them. Well, yeah, I think um, one of the marketing guys came up with it, but was like, you know, oxens are, oxes, oxes are strong and they like power like farms, like can attach kind of other farm machinery to them, you know, really strong bullish kind of animals. Hmm. Um, so I think that was part of the narrative for why we, we chose it. And oxen is also like the power, the powerhouse for the rest of the products we built session on that. So I yeah, like that it. was kind of some of the logic. I know, I know we're rehashing things we've had you on top, but if you don't mind, just cause I, people might be listening in for the first, what was the impetus for starting what was then called Loki, which became Oxen. Like, why? Why didn't you just work on Monero protocol? What was what was your drive? Like, how did how did what made you start this this entire venture? Yeah. So in 2018, we were kind of swimming around the Monero space quite a bit. I was doing uh, actually like talks at our local blockchain center about Monero. We cared a lot about privacy at that point in time, um, and we still really do. Um, 
but we saw these protocols swimming around. Mostly it was Monero and Tor that we were really interested in and a bit of Signal as well. So we saw these three protocols and we were like, wouldn't it be kind of cool because Tor has this network of, uh, of, of nodes that it uses to route traffic around the internet. Um, wouldn't it be kind of cool if we could incentivize um, the operation of those nodes financially um, and use that to kind of bootstrap this network uh, where you could have a second layer of private communication. So you can build something like Tor with incentivized nodes, or you can build something like Signal where the messages weren't stored on a central server, they were stored on this decentralized network. Nodes. Um, and that was like really an important idea at that time. So we thought maybe we could build this uh, on top of Monero, but I think when we looked at the project, um, it, it didn't seem super open to building a second layer of nodes. So for example, like what we were kind of proposing was to build almost like a master node network where some of the block rewards for Monero would be taken and given to this network to incentivize their operation. But I think Monero has always had like a strong uh, philosophical view about what uh, the consensus layer should look like and who block rewards should go to. So I don't think there was much flexibility there to propose kind of like a second layer, uh, like master node network that was incentivized at the protocol level. Um, so at that point, I think it became clear that we would need to do our own uh, chain. And that's when we kind of launched Oxen and, and built the second layer of nodes, which I think is about 1800 uh, service nodes right now, which are incentivized by the network. And um, yeah, perform all of the operations for session and looking at and do all of that cool stuff. So yeah, man, you've come a long way from when we first. <laughs> I mean, it was like basically vaporware when we were when we were first first talking about it. Yeah, like how's this thing gonna work? How the nodes gonna be incentivized? And shit, man, I think you've more than proven your especially, <laughs> especially with session, right? I mean, session is it's like known beyond crypto right like people are a lot of people are just using it not, not even i think really even knowing or understanding you know backed by oxen essentially uh, yeah. it's a very usable encrypted messenger yeah right? very cool and uh, so, uh, how many how many users do you guys have right now? well i think uh we're up from our uh, previous estimate because we i think last well, i don't know exactly what i said last time we we're on here but i think a year ago we were probably kicking around uh, 400,000, 350,000 monthly active users. Um, but I just checked, uh, recently and I think we're just pushing, uh, 600,000 monthly active users now. Oh, so shit. yeah, there's, and what you said is right. Like a lot of these users don't necessarily know that there's a blockchain network powering, um, what they're using day to day, which is actually like one of the goals that we kind of set out to do which was to kind of separate uh, the complexity of blockchain from like the consumer application that people were actually going to use. Um, I think we want to bring, bridge those together uh, a bit more now, but like getting people onboarded, you don't want to, I think, yeah, getting people onboarded onto a messaging application, if you just like kind of push blockchain on them too hard, they'll, um, they'll, they'll get a bit like worried about what, what's going on or like, you know, the complexity of blockchain can also be quite overwhelming sometimes. So it's good to kind of take that and put that into a second layer onboarding for the user. Yeah, no, it seems like it, it's worked out quite well for you. I was going to try to go like kind of go through Oxen and then, but we're at session. So we'll, let's just keep talking about <laughs> session and then we'll go back. We'll jump around. Um, 
what I, I guess what what can you tell us about kind of like where session currently is in terms of its tech and where you guys are headed with yeah so i would say like compared to other messaging applications like you know your mainline messaging applications telegram signal um whatsapp facebook messenger uh session is still quite early like we're only i think at this point three years old or three and a half years old and most of the messaging applications are pushing on 10 years old um so yeah, like Telegram, I think maybe a slight bit younger than the rest of them. But um, yeah, I mean, Signal's pushing 10 years old. Um, WhatsApp's pushing 10 years old. So they've had a lot of time to develop uh, like their systems and features. And messaging applications are like extremely complex pieces of software. We expect them to do a lot and we have very low tolerance for failures as well. If a message doesn't get delivered to a recipient, it's like the messaging app just gets dumped basically. Um, so there's like a very high ceiling for like the level that we need to reach and sessions definitely not there yet. Um, but it's, it's getting better every, every week and people who use session two years ago or a year ago will, and download it today will definitely notice that there's been a difference. It's just basically like being on that warpath and like putting in features, improving reliability that we need to like really keep hammering on. Um, and it's something that we've gotten much better at um, in the past couple of years. So, I mean, yeah, like, since last, since a year ago, um, I, I've noted down some features we added. We've added like theming so people can choose like a custom theme like uh, that they want to have. That was really important for us. Emoji Reacts, um, which was a very highly requested feature. Um, ID blinding, which basically preserves um, kind of more of your privacy when you're chatting in uh, larger communities. And then we've also upgraded uh, voice and video calls um, since we last spoke. So yeah, quite a few features coming out and probably the, the biggest features yet to come um, this year in the next couple of months as well. Um, so improvements to, to disappearing messages and uh, closed groups as well, which are these kind of smaller groups. So yeah, lots to come, um, but still like we're not all the way there yet. Yeah, so, so tell us about the different, like, so obviously, Peer, uh, just individual groups, you know, that's that's all like completely private. It's peer to peer, essentially. Uh, and then you have these small groups, and then you have the larger groups, right? What what are technically what's the difference? What's the difference? Yeah. So um, I like to think about it like closed groups are kind of more like they're they're more secure and decentralized. So they're actually stored on the service node network. All of the messages are stored on the service node network for uh, closed groups, and they can scale up to hundred people. And essentially what they're um, providing is kind of the full uh, level, onion routing, full level decentralized storage um, and everything is on the service node network. Now with the larger groups, it becomes a bit, like your model becomes a bit more interesting because in small groups, you do want an end-to-end -end encrypted. Um, so everyone is end-to-end -end messages for each other. Mm -hmm. But with larger groups, when it gets up to 500 people, for example, it doesn't really like <laughs> public a lot of, yeah. yeah exactly a lot of people are going to have like an immediate reaction to this is just like just encrypt everything but end-to-end -end encryption doesn't really make sense in a group of 500 because yeah. and if the group is open as well and anyone can join it with the url right. it doesn't really make sense to enter and encrypt the data because anyone can join the group the messages or your group size is so large that you can't really monitor if someone has snuck their way into a group Right. Um, and is exfiltrating messages. So when we get to that larger size, it's more important to have scalability. Um, so at that point, we have a model where you kind of self-host uh, a server 
and then you can start a community with that server. The community can have a number of rooms. Um, it's probably more similar to the to the Discord um, model or, or having channels uh, in Telegram. Um, and essentially all of the messages flow to that self-hosted server. They still flow through running requests. So you still get that anonymity for the users that are joining uh, your group, but you don't get that decentralization in the storage aspect of things. Um, it is all stored on that self-hosted um, server that the user sets up. Mm -hmm. uh, but that allows us to scale to you know thousands and thousands of users. Our biggest open groups have grown to, uh, past 10,000 users um, at points and not have any issues with scalability. So. And I, I guess at least in that scenario, somebody who's running a group, at least your store, it's being stored on your servers versus, say, Telegram servers, which are then, you know, more easily acquired by the powers that be, right? Anybody that wants to get their hands on that nation, uh, I guess, depending how you run your own server, but you could probably do it in a way where it's it's pretty safe and secure and out of the hand those that want to get their hands on the data right yeah it's and it's it's really important for moderation as well um if all of the data is held by the operate like the um the operating service like facebook or telegram then they'll have certain requirements to operate on that data they may have to screen it for you know uh terrorism material or unfriendly material, they apply their own content moderation policies essentially to that data that they're holding because they're holding it. Um, but decentralizing that hosting means that uh, the content moderation policy is up to the person who's actually hosting uh, yeah. the messages there. Um, so that really allows us to be much more flexible. Uh, you know, political content, for example, you know, uh, Twitter and Facebook would have to take certain measures as we've seen over the last like two, three years, um, that individual service node operators can decide what content moderation policies that they're going to apply to their own servers. Yeah, as we're having this convo, I'm realizing I think it is time that we set up a, a session for Monerotopia. So we we were using Telegram because we started it, I don't know, right? I, I, I never really paid much attention to it, but now like there's quite a few people in there. And then people are like, oh, why are we using shitty Telegram, you know, privacy community, Monero community, like we should be using session was brought up obviously like a year ago. And I was like, well, like the large groups, my understanding was like, it's like, you might as well use tell like it's a public forum. So why would, but now for all these other reasons you're talking about, right? Like if we're running it as our own server, we are gaining uh, authority over our own, our own chat room and we're keeping it out of the hands of a corporation or a government, them being able to like essentially con control the room, right? And uh, set, set the rules. And like you said, you know, potentially have to scan the data or whatever for, for, for their reasons. So I'm, uh, I'm now convinced. So I'm going to maybe go through that process and maybe uh, is, is, it, is it easy enough to do? Like uh, what, what's, what's, what are the steps to set up a, a room like that? Yeah, it's fairly simple. Um, I mean, if you've set up a Monero full node, for example, it would be for you. Um, basically, you just grab a VPS, um, put punch in a couple of commands, and you can get a, a node up and up and running. Uh, and then that'll basically give you a URL that you can put into the session client and join up. Like we tried to streamline the process as much as possible. I mean, you still do need um, a, a VPS to to do this. Um, we want to move into, into the direction where everything can be done inside of the session client. So I know like a lot of the larger kind of self-hosted services, uh, like matrix, uh, elements have their, like if you go to their website, they'll have, um, services where you can just kind of basically one click to set up your own, uh, VPS with a matrix like instance on it. 
or an element instance on it. So we eventually want to get to that point where you just pay some provider like you know, $10 a month or something and you get your own little server and you can decide how you administer everything, but it's all handled nicely um, through a, through a give face. It's not there yet. Um, but that's something, that's a place where we want to get to eventually. Um, but yeah, if, also, if you know, a um, open group operator, like you're in touch with some people, they can just create a room on their server. Uh, and then you can, oh, okay. theirs. And there's, yeah, if you're, if you like, you know, especially if it's someone in the community that you trust, like, um, then you can just move over there and it doesn't necessarily need to be related to their, um, to their open group as well. Like, cause rooms show up as separate channels. Uh, they don't, they don't show up. It's not kind of like discord where there's a, there's a server and then all of the rooms are underneath that server. It's more like there's a server and they each have individual channels, which just show up floating. Do you have any like big groups like, uh, that we would like big privacy groups. Is there like a Monero room in session? Um, there's a cryptocurrency room, which tends to focus, uh, most of its discussion around privacy coins being the session application. I don't know if there's a particular, um, Monero, there's a, there's a thing called session use, um, online and that'll, that shows like a lot a fairly large group of, uh, or a fairly large amount of the groups. Uh, let me see if there's anything here. Yeah. I'll, I'll link this. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll have to start it, man. I mean, we'll start the Monero yeah. Tokyo one for sure. Monero one at the same time. Yeah, I'll, 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 uh, I'll link this to you later. Yeah, no, I would. We, we got to do that. We we, we got to support our own, you know. And uh, you got you guys are as close to a Monero based technology that we could get, right? So like, let let let's 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 pivot to that. Talking once again, kind of talking about Oxen and like the architecture of Oxen itself. It is a fork of the Monero protocol, correct? Yeah. Um, so Oxen was forked from Monero in 2018. Um, so it wasn't a, a hard fork. So we didn't preserve any of the blockchain uh, history from Monero. It's more of a code fork uh, where we took uh, Monero's code and iterated on top of that. Um, so yeah, we have upstreamed uh, a few of our things uh, back to Monero. I know, um, for example, adding in IPv6 support was something that we upstreamed back to Monero. Uh, but I think like at this point, the code bases have significantly uh, deviated from each other. And I don't think we merged Monero back since probably 2020, late 2020 or something like that. And what, so explain more like the relationship between, you know, the nodes and like the blockchain oxen itself, like how, how those things tandem. Yeah. So, uh, the cryptocurrency side of things basically operates as a Monero blockchain where all the transactions are private, you have ring signatures, stealth addresses, all of the stuff that Monero has. Um, and they basically, um, but that, that part of things basically establishes this currency layer um, and people have oxen balances. So then they can use that oxen to be able to stake uh, service nodes. So if you have up to 15,000, uh, well, it's 15,000 oxen exactly, um, you can use that amount to uh, start a service node. And a service node's function basically is to uh, route messages for session, um, uh, do local net uh, packet routing, but also it operates inside of the network as a proof of stake node as well. So, um, in 2021, I think we forked away from uh, proof of work and we're an entirely proof of stake system uh, now. Uh, so, 
yeah, basically the service nodes will also push the chain forward. They create new blocks, um, they order transactions, um, they do everything that's required to operate a normal blockchain, a normal Monero blockchain, but they also do these additional services, which is to route messages to session, uh, route data for LokiNet as well. Um, so I think maybe the most, the closest uh, thing you can think about um, OxNAS is kind of like a, a an illegitimate love child between say like Dash and uh, Monero. So it has this kind of master node network, but then it also has the privacy of Monero as well. So yeah, it's kind of combining um, those two things. How many nodes are there? So service, yeah, so service nodes is about 1800 um, service nodes. Uh, so we have about 45% of the supply, uh, or I think it's 40% of the supply currently staked and operating a service node. Um, and then there's also full nodes out there as well, which aren't operating the service nodes, but there aren't as many of those. Oh, wow. So 45% of the supply is essentially locked up in these nodes. That's, that's interesting. Yeah. So yeah. That, that obviously, uh, I guess, affects kind of the, the volatility of, of Oxen, right? Or it, it, it makes it more scarce, right? I guess. Arguably, yeah, I think there is definitely a liquidity effect that it has, uh, just because there isn't as much oxen out there floating on exchanges and stuff. Um, but there's definitely churn that happens with the service node network as well. I think probably month on month, we probably have two or three percent of the service node network will drop out, and then two or three three percent will join. Um, so you know, there's definitely people who are unlocking the service node, selling that oxen. Then there's people coming in who are staking new oxen. Um, so it does create a bit of liquidity when that happens. Um, but yeah, definitely be lower liquidity than, than something where the entire um, supply kind of floats around. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we, I didn't like, we should have you on the proof of stake versus proof of work panel <laughs> that we're going to do, right? I mean, I know you're going to yeah. be like another talk, but um, if we could fit you on there, maybe, you know. Super happy. Um, I mean, I think we're the only. The only crypto note proof of stake coin that I know, I think there may be another one. Oh, Zano, Zano is going to be oh, okay. there as well. Uh, Zarcanium, or I think they, they, yeah, they're already stake, right? Or they're are they they're crypto note? Or yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's uh, that's that's being worked on. He's Andre uh, Zal. I, I can't Zal. Zalbekov. He's you know he claims to be the original essentially um developer for the first implementation was that called cut coin at some point i feel like there was something called cut coin that was maybe no, like just before us no i don't think so okay um yeah he'll be there so that's interesting. that's cool you guys will be uh maybe we'll get you both on that panel that's it so why did you guys move to proof of stake what was the technical well i think there was like there was several reasons um one one of the larger reasons though, was that we had a lot of uh, mining centralization going on. So we had very large pools that were uh, essentially like had most of the hash power in a single pool, um, which I know is the, something that Monero has struggled with having pools that were over 50% of the hash rate or pools that for a consistent period of time are at 40 or 35% you know, of the hash rate mm -hmm. where you can essentially just have two pools come together and 51% attack the chain. Um, so we were very not comfortable with that system where you had like collusion of like a few pools would be able to bring down the entire network essentially. Um, we also had, we also like economically, I think there was 
a lot of miners who were not um, mining because they were ideologically aligned with the vision. They were kind of mining because the coin was the most profitable coin at the time. Um, so you would see a lot of these people who would do this kind of uh, multi-coin mining, where essentially they would switch between say all of the crypto node coins, so like Monero, um, you know, Haven, uh, Oxen, and essentially like when the profitability switched, all of their hash power would switch as well. Um, and that was creating these like periods where we'd have lots of blocks and then a few blocks, like because the difficulty would have to adjust between the, the, the hash rate turning up and down. Um, and for smaller coins, that's really hard because you can't really predict like when your block times are going to come, they can be really long periods without blocks. Um, then also like, I will like briefly mention like, um, environmental sustainability was a thought, uh, it wasn't our main reason, but obviously running the network on proof of stake, um, you know, you don't need as much electricity. Uh, that's the, that's the basic, um, premise of it as mining does. Now there's like, there's controversy about where types of power comes from. Uh, for mining like whether it's from uh, industrial sources or it's renewable electricity but um either way you need less of the electric you need less electricity to run a proof of stake network like one so um that was a pretty um obvious choice for us so yeah i mean there's a bunch of reasons but i think those are the primary ones so the primary one was kind of like maintaining your decentralization especially because you guys are were a smaller project right i don't I don't think Monero faces the issue as much. Like you said, right, there's been those concerns of uh, pools getting too large and whatnot, but yeah. Well, I think like, I, I think Monero does face some of the same um, issues. Okay. And I would say like, especially from the mining pool perspective, I know that- P2 uh, pool, right, is a pretty good solution, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah, well, I know, but I know that um, like, I think six, I think it was six months ago, or maybe it was 12 months ago, Monero did have a mining pool that was over 50% of the hash rate for a brief period of time. But it was like a couple, I think it was a week or something, not, not long. Um, but that like having a mining pool that's over 50% of the hash rate essentially means that you are completely captured by a single mining pool operator deciding that they, you know, if they want to hard fork the network, they can because you know, they're providing these templates to their, um, to the people who are mining from their pool. Now, peer to peer pool. Yeah. That does solve some of that issues, but, um, I don't think like the adoption doesn't seem to be that large. I think they're fourth or fifth largest pool right now. Um, totally growing. Yeah. They're growing, growing hundred percent. Um, but yeah, also like not even from the, um, centralization perspective, but also like, I think there is a largest that there's a sense that there may be some regulatory capture as well. The mining sector, I know the Bitcoin people are really facing a lot of this headwind right now with trying to explain that mining, uh, yeah, is yeah, as yeah. bad for the environment as people say it is, but there's this strong view. And I think that the climate change kind of activism is only going to get stronger over the next like 10, 20 years. I don't see that trend reversing. Mm -hmm. And I think a very easy target target for them to come after is miners because, you know, they see it as miners are burning electricity without, it's not providing anything to the network. I know that like informed people see it completely differently from that, but you're facing an uninformed kind of consumer base of millions and millions of people. And working against that regulatory capture, I feel like it's going to be hard. I mean, Monero has already got 
I, I obviously it's good privacy fine, right? Like yeah, so. <laughs> and we, we have planned a max. I, I totally agree with you that I, I often list that as you know a primary difference in Bitcoin, right? I, I do see that as an attack vector, government regulatory bodies, right? That want to knock on the doors of these large mining corporations and uh whatever, implement the regulations they want to implement, basically force them. Yeah. Um but yeah, it's going to be harder with Monero, I think, because of the, the random X nature, right? So it's mostly C or it is C only CPU mine. So it's not, you don't really have, what are they going to do? Just They're just going to regulate the usage of CPUs at that point. You know what I'm saying? At that point, it's, they're essentially regulating how people use CPU in their homes, you know? Yeah, I think that that could definitely, um, like, I think the reality of Monero mining, I'm, look, I haven't looked in quite a while, but. I think there's this kind of utopian vision that, you know, Monero mining would be everyone just turning on their CPUs and we'll have this like, you know, party where it's all of the users that are mining. But I think you still have a high amount of centralization around mining farms in particular areas where electricity is extremely cheap and hardware can be got uh, extremely cheap as well. So that would be kind of closer to the sources um closer to kind of cheaper electricity sources and cheaper hardware sources so i think you probably still see some um centralization around the asia um area which tends to be the area where regulations are more uh like a stronger against against privacy um so what you may see is some of those miners turning off their hash power and the hash power for the network being reduced which makes it potentially easier to attack in the future um but I think what's what we're more likely to see if if there is a real move against privacy coins is an abandonment from institutional actors. Um, so those exchanges that do still serve um, Monero transactions, kind of moving away uh, from Monero transactions. I think that's probably the more likely effect rather than it destroying the mining network. And because you know, there's always people that will be willing to risk, um, you know, evading the law to turn on some miners and, and earn some profit. And that's only going to become more attractive as there's less miners on them. But uh, finding um, institutional bodies that are willing to serve the Monero ecosystem um, and take that risk, I think, is going to be much harder than, um, you know, c continuing to support the mining network. Mm -hmm. You mean like exchanges and things like that? Wait. Exchanges, yeah. And I think, like, I mean, I think there's almost like this this vision in the Monero and privacy community that, you know, if large exchanges were to, to come out and ban Monero or other privacy coins, that there would kind of be the Streisand effect where you would see more people adopt it. But I think this is actually not true. Like, <laughs> no, no. I, think, I think we're too early uh, in the cycle for people to, to be... To, to be that hard on on things and if there was to be kind of a consumer ban where like the us said you can't hold monero it's illegal um i think there would be a massive decrease in uh like interest in i, so maybe, I, I, maybe I, interest I would in be monero. like the, the only schmuck trying to grab more monero at that point is what you're saying well <laughs> i don't i don't know who would like be willing i don't think there would be that many people willing to risk I tell you right now, if they ban it, and it, I would, I would certainly try to grab grab a hell of a lot more. Um, well, we know I mean, the U.S. That... government is coming direct to your house, then. <laughs> uh, I know. You know, fortunately, I have a really bad habit of not writing down my private keys and losing my. <laughs> I can suck it that far. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think the Streisand effect is a real thing. I mean, obviously, you know, I, I get what you're saying. Like, if if people, are, if it's going to be very difficult for people to obtain, but it's already kind of difficult, right? It's already, and people like go out of their way to get it because 
they really need it, right? For purposes, like some people are just speculating. There's a lot of people that are getting it because whatever they want to go shopping on the dark market or, you know, they, they need to send a, a private transaction. I don't know. I think that's true. Like they're definitely like there's Monero has a strong community. People who are actually using Monero, which is really bullish for its like continued existence. But uh, I'm more talking about price now, like um, in terms of like, what is the, yeah, what is the speculative multiple um, in the price, like, which is people like speculating on future growth of Monero. And I think like, I, I can't, like, I've not sat down and like valued it, but I would assume like the speculative value over what people are actually using um, Monero for is like probably 10 times what Monero is actually worth. And um, like as a, as a, a kind of transactional um, currency, but that is still bullish if you're just a Monero user and what you're doing is basically like converting some stable currency into Monero using it. And then, you know, doing the same thing over and over again, you'll still always have access to that privacy. It just may not like the investment aspect of Monero, I think is, um, harder to sell when, when regular regulators are, um, you know, coming after it harder and harder. And I really realize as I'm talking about this, I'm also talking about us as well, because we're perhaps, yeah, yeah, I think it's important to be like realistic about like where. Yeah. I, I get you. I get you. Yeah, yeah, I get you. I get you. See, like being ultimately bullish all the time. Like, well, it's, this is all, everything's good, good for Monero, right? Like, that's kind of like the meme. Point. But I don't know. You don't really have me convinced. Because, like, the thing is, like, it would be, if anything, it'd be a lot less volatile, right? That, that's why I think we see Monero acts relatively stable. Right? It seems like it's it's not, a, a, I mean, obviously, we can look at the volatility itself, but it seems to act like more of a stable, slow moving, uh, priced coin right and i think a lot of that has to do with the fact that it isn't easy to buy but it also isn't easy to dump and sell right there's not too many on and off fiat ramps so it kind of goes both ways right it won't just make maybe make it easier to to purchase but it makes it more difficult to then like dump your coins right so i think it would have kind of a effect on both ends and then obviously we would have decentralized exchanges right and then that you know that not just monero but oxen and other privacy like all that stuff, I mean, it already exists and it's it's only getting more usable, but you don't think, you think that would just scare people out of interacting with these cryptos, even if there's ways for them to do it essentially without being stopped through centralized exchanges? No, I, I think um, the decentralized exchange experience is going to get so good that people aren't going to be scared off using decentralized exchanges, especially from crypto to crypto. I think that... Um, you know, in, in five years, that like that'll be completely solved. There won't really be that many um, exchanges who are dealing solely with crypto to crypto exchange. Um, exchanges will mostly be dealing with fiat uh, on ramping, uh, which probably still needs to exist um, mostly at the exchange layer, um, just because like the traditional monetary system requires like KYC and all of that stuff. Um, I'm more concerned about like, for example, if there was a, a ban on holding Monero, like even though this is like extremely hard to enforce uh, at, a, at a governmental level, um, I think that they could do it like they could or they could say something like, you know, you can't file your taxes or something like around, you know, holdings of Monero. And that would basically institutionally that would really like destroy any institutional investment Monero, I think, because if you can't like file it and you're a, a, an illegal holder, 
Um, and there would still be like an underground of people that are still using Monero. I think it would just make it, you know, <laughs> like to your average like mom and pop person who like wants more privacy in their life and wants to have their digital life uh, free from surveillance. Are they going to risk like violating the law by holding Monero at a point in time? Like even if they can get it easily on a decentralized exchange and you've solved this like centralized aspect, is there going to be some, are, are these like average people going to risk it to be able to get more privacy? Monero people aren't average people, my friend. We're not average, <laughs> we're not average people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 Monero's done a pretty good job already at kind of filtering out the weak, you know? So I, it would take a hit in terms of users a little bit, in terms of speculators, but the, the core users, I, I think, would just be become more motivated about the cause globally. Like there, there would be the initial, you know, the, the initial setback, right? Like uh, maybe a little, a, a, retreat, a momentary retreat. But I think the then at that point, the mission just becomes more important than ever, you know? Yeah, I, I just definitely a wild, <laughs> a wild Liberty Monero guy, but I don't think I'm the only one. You know? What's no, that? no, no. Like I hundred percent agree with you. There's gonna be a core of Monero like users who would who are gonna stay on no matter what. Um and it's probably all of the people that are interested in Monero right now and who are Monero users would probably stick as Monero users. It just becomes much harder to onboard new people uh into the space who aren't willing to take that risk, I think. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, I mean, you can definitely make arguments like, for example, like drugs have been legal for a very long time. People still use them. People still take the risk to buy drugs illegally. Right. Um, so, you know, it, it's it's hard to say that it, it would completely um, stop kind of Monero usage. And that's not what I'm kind of arguing. I'm just arguing that the speculative multiplier is probably likely yeah, to, to leave the Monero ecosystem. Um and so do, do you, is this something that you, you think may have, do you put some like legitimate odds on this happening and would it be, do you see it as being like, they're going after Monero or they're going after all of crypto or they're going after all quote unquote privacy coins, excluding dash or like, like what are they, what are they, what are they doing? You know, like what, 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 my, my, my view is that, um, the like regulators actually kind of like the transparency of Bitcoin. And yes, I agree they, I think they're going to be okay with allowing Bitcoin to, to continue to exist, at least at a privacy level. Like they may have qualms about, you know, uh, Bitcoin mining, for example, which they see as environmentally unfriendly. Um, there may be some regular regulations in, in that aspect. Um, but I think, um, yeah, I think, I think Monero, you know, I don't it's hard to say whether they're going to go after it soon. Like, I don't know whether, whether they will. And I'm like, I'm making the bear case right now as well. Like, I, I'm not <laughs> you sure. Make, I... You make me excited, man. You just like, you make, you make me want to like run outside with a Monero flag. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm I, like, I'm not in favor of any of this regulation. I, I just see it as something exactly. that is maybe coming down the pipeline I, as being like, I've been in the privacy ecosystem since 2018 we've been running a privacy project since 2018 We're obviously very um close with people in the monero community and stuff and like i just see i, I haven't felt ex like this kind of more impending doom um that i have about regular regulatory oversight um than i have recently especially with the ftx stuff i feel like they are really now like have this um kind of mandate to go after cryptocurrencies hard especially exchanges but um like cryptocurrency in general as well. So.
Yeah, no, I think, you know, you look at governments around like, like in Europe, right, on a high level, they're talking about how to handle privacy right, on to KYC, AML, all wallet providers, right? Even maybe like, you know, whatever, obviously hosted wallet, like they're, they're like maybe potentially trying to move in that direction, right? Um, yeah, the, the, the walls are definitely closing in on a, on a global scale, right? And you have these large regulatory bodies that essentially create the regulation that then the entire world ends up adopting. But, you know, I do, I do, you know, I ran for Congress here in the US in 2020. And like, you know, I, I read the Constitution, I went to law, I'm an attorney, I passed the bar. Like, I, I'm not, where, how do they, how do they ban Monero, but don't ban Bitcoin? Like, what? What is then like the legal argument? How how are they doing that? Um, I, I just don't see how you could like ban code. You know, you could ban Monero. You could ban you know free speech, free speech money, right? If you're if you're banning Monero, what what exactly are you banning, and how are you not like banning Bitcoin? At that point? What I struggle with. I don't I don't know if you're like like I'm not a constitutional expert. I'm not yeah. a lawyer in the U.S. Um, but I don't know if you ban Monero, but you probably just put some very like onerous, like kind of money laundering uh, regulations around it. Like that you need to, you need right. to KYC essentially the, the parties that you're interacting when you transact with Monero, or you need to provide some element of traceability when you use Monero, for example, like exposing your view keys for every transaction that you perform, or like there would like they have this travel rule. The CFTC has this travel rule, right? Like mm -hmm. where you need to identify, and this I think this is only for exchanges right now, but um, where you need to identify the parties that you're interacting with, that you're sending Monero to or receiving Monero from. Yeah. Um, and that that's fine. You know, exchanges can comply with that because you know they KYC the people that they interact with usually, um, but they may apply that to individual transactions, for example. Um, you know, they're getting harder on even cash um, at this point in some of the non kind of US uh, countries, like moving more to, to credit cards and traceable forms of transactions and lowering the barrier for how much cash you're allowed to use in uh, tr personal transactions. So I know, like, I think you can't transact uh, business transactions more than $10,000 um, Australia. I think that's a rule that they passed recently or something. So I think they're not going to necessarily come after Monero specifically but they're going to regulate in such a way where it, it'd be very hard to operate with the qualities of monero without needing to expose uh you know some element of your transaction or something like that i think that that could be a possibility for how they would regulate these things without going after specific uh things and still within the legal uh framework i mean they could declare a uh you know if monero is banned you cannot hold monero i don't know if that would sounds like that would be unconstitutional though like, yeah, yeah on, a, on a bunch of different levels um but you know and then, then we'd see what happens right like does it doesn't mean anything clearly unconstitutional right we have to see how that that all plays out yeah. but i would i would i don't know i would weigh heavily on the side of, of it succeeding uh even just just the way just the way politics works in the u.s i mean uh i think you would have those that would come to to its aid because they would want to protect encryption, the larger tech sector of like encry encryption tech and Bitcoin, uh, and they would see it as an attack there. Uh, but who knows? Who knows? Uh, it's we we shall see. We shall see. I didn't I didn't realize I, I didn't uh, realize it was going to be such a dark and gloomy conversation. Key, I didn't. Know yeah, yeah. I really shouldn't have uh, run the, the bear case. Yeah. <laughs> no, but. Um, uh, 
so where do you so you, i mean you're, you're basically you're building or you built you know a fork of monero and it does all these things so what kind of then what what keeps you going i mean if they're in the back of your mind there's a good chance a decent chance that essentially the, the global powers that be clamped down on the technology that you're creating what what keeps you going well, I think like for, particularly for the last couple of years, we've been focused more on the communication side of things. Um, so sessions, obviously providing private communications. And I think, um, there is a bit more of an understanding from regulators that the private communications are needed. I mean, there's still a bunch of laws that are coming around that, which are very anti-encryption, especially in Australia, um, which we've had to put up our own protections against like being open source and, um, you know, not having access, the, the same level of access to the network that centralized providers would have if they were running their services in Australia kind of protect us from those laws. Mm -hmm. um, but I think like, I mean, I've just kind of presented a bear case. I think I've, I've woken up uh, this morning in a bearish mood. Oh. Um, the, 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 bullish, the bullish kind of narrative uh, for privacy coins is that there is, um, there's a growing kind of understanding in the population that there is a need for privacy. Um, and this is coming through, I think you see it uh, really aggressively coming through with the more data leaks that are coming out. So data leaks from Facebook or for example, in Australia, we just had like Medibank um, leak all of their customer data. Um, and we've had a lot, a number of large companies leak customer data as well. I think users are starting to understand that you cannot trust data, which is siloed with centralized companies because it will be hacked and exposed at some point. So I think there's a, there's a growing uh, desire from the consumer for privacy. And if the consumer pushes uh, for privacy at the financial layer as well, then it will be impossible for governments to pass regulation, which limits privacy at the financial layer. So I think it's really, you know, uh, kind of me, me selling the, the bear case, I hope is uh, motivation for people to get out there and talk more about privacy, um, for at sure. the financial layer so that they can prevent these legislation, like all these laws from being passed. Uh, we don't want to get to that point. Like no one wants to get to that point. So advocating at this stage for privacy coins is super important so that we're just like, well, we're just going to fucking ban them all past super onerous regulations. Yeah, we, we, have, we have to normalize it, right? We have to make it like taboo for them to ban it. Like exactly. everyone needs to be up in arms at that point. Yeah. Um, so I don't, I don't want to, I know, I know we, we stuck on this, this banning thing for a while, but so do you see a scenario, would there be a scenario where Oxen, let's say there was some kind of universal bans or America bans privacy coins and whatever, Oxen gets thrown in there with, with Monero, would, would Oxen then, you know, pivot and like no longer be a privacy coin, but session would still run on top of it. I mean, like, is that, is that, um, I have kind of said like, well, we're more focused on the messaging part. Right. So I'm just curious how you're, how you're, yeah, I mean, technically it would be possible. Like I think we could run, uh, like session is this network of nodes, right? So it can be, it's, it's an incentivized network. It doesn't necessarily need to be incentivized by a privacy coin. Um, but I think having privacy at all the layers is an attractive quality that we're presenting right now. Cause you know, we have uh, privacy at the currency layer. We have privacy at the communications layer, um, and all of the layers above that you can applications on top of session stuff. So I think it, that's a really good selling point for us, um, that I would, that I would like to preserve. Um, but there, yeah, I mean, 
I don't think it's necessarily required. Like you can imagine a, a coin or you can imagine a network like Tor is built without a coin at all um, and still provides privacy to its users, right? So there's, nece there's not necessarily a hard requirement to, to, to have a privacy coin uh, for session and let's continue. But it does provide some images, which, you know, we're... Yeah, I mean, that, that's what gives the, in the incentive theory, right? right to, for people to run the nodes, right? Yeah, exactly. So people were rewarded in Oxen for, for running nodes and stake Oxen to run nodes. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. So what would you say, how would you describe Oxen's kind of value proposition then, right? Like in, in Monero, it's first, it's digital, right? It's trying to be untraceable digital cash. So Oxen is really, it's, is, is, does it have, what, how would you describe its kind of mission? Is it, it's trying to be the, the fuel, the gas that, that runs uh, privacy apps or something? Yeah, it's, it's similar to that. Um, so essentially like the, the value proposition or why someone would potentially want to buy Oxen is because they believe in um, Session and, and LokiNet, the products that we're building on top of the Oxen service network. Mm -hmm. And the way that we're hoping to feed value back into the, to the network is to provide premium features on Session, or Session and LokiNet. Um, and then use that that premium feature that the user is paying for. Say they pay three dollars a month for a session pro, which offers some, some advanced features in session. Um, then that three dollars a month is used to buy and burn um, oxen, thereby reducing the supply over time. Um, so our our remit is like much less a private digital cash and more like a uh, an ecosystem of privacy preserving applications, which you support by um, buying oxen and then also um, get that, that feedback in the network as well through the, the applications that we're pushing, buying and burning oxen, um, through their usage. Are there other use cases or apps beyond messaging apps and essentially, uh, a tour like system that are, that are in the works? Like, what do you, what do you guys see as being like the next kind of big thing that could be built on top of oxen? I think we're really focusing on session, uh, right now. Um, but LokiNet is essentially like network layer privacy for any application that you want to build. Um, and there's a whole like darknet inside of uh, LokiNet, which exists in the .loki um, address space. So there's all of these .loki domains, which people um, operating and can have anything um, hosted there as well. So um, there's a lot of space to explore applications on top of LokiNet, I would say. Um, but yeah, I think like primarily our focus over the last like uh, year or two or year and a half has been has been session. How about like you know a decentralized exchange or a marketplace? Um, you know, like uh, kind of like an open bazaar um, or what we saw that was built on Particle. Um, are there? I'm sure you've, you've thought about these things. Like, what is your take on that with regards to Oxen? Yeah, um, like someone could build a marketplace definitely on top of LokiNet. Um, that would be a more centralized affair, I suppose, because um, LokiNet provides you network level anonymity, or it provides anonymity for the user and the server operator, but there still would be a server operator there, which would be hosting the marketplace, for example. Um, if you want to build a kind of more decentralized marketplace, then you probably want the users to be hosting um, some portion of it, or the service nodes to be hosting some portion of it. Um, we have thought about that before, um, but haven't really explored it because I think like Open Bazaar was, I, I think they've shut down now. Um, I don't know if anyone's really carrying the flag right now for decentralized marketplaces. 
Uh, is, part yeah, of, is the particle thing still going? Or? Yeah, it's going. I don't know. I don't know how how much it's used. They'll they'll, they'll be down at Monerotopia. Um, awesome. Monerotopia. Uh, yeah, I think I recently heard that the Open Bazaar guy was going to try to start working on it again. Um, now he thinks now's the time. He was kind of ahead of his. Um, and then there are I forget the name. There's an interesting one that's going to be that's being worked on that's Monero based. The guy in the chat. No, well, I'm sure some people in the chat might know what I'm talking about. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of the holy grail, right? Nobody's and nobody's really hit it yet. And it seems like you know, Oxen, given the 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 master nodes or what do you call them? You call them um, service nodes. Service nodes. Uh, that it's all the architecture is there to somewhat easily deploy a decentralized architecture. I think one of the things that the OpenZar people, because I use OpenZar and I bought a bunch of things on there as well. Okay. Like earrings and stuff for my mum. <laughs> Nothing um, crazy. But I think one of the things that they were struggling with was discoverability of items. So they had these two search providers i think launch with but then you could add other search providers to search the kind of i guess dht for um listings but i think they ran into a lot of issues like for example if you download the application and there's a whole bunch of drug listings um in the application when you download it is that the responsibility of providers of the open source software i think they are really running into that issue like pretty hard and they didn't want to just provide complete discoverability of the entire network when the client was open so that we get uh, stuff like that. Um, but then I think that also reduced the viability of the network because I feel like most people wanted to use it for illicit, uh, illicit reasons. So I think you run into probably a pretty, and like, I'm not like, I probably fall more on the uh, kind of Silk Road philosophy that marketplaces should just be fairly open and we shouldn't really regulate what is displayed in, in marketplaces. But I think like uh, the reality of running into like running a company runs up into or even distributing open source software like hits into that pretty hard. So it's like a big balancing act, I think, that you would have to make. Um, Do you think it's possible, provider of that possible to build something that kind of, you know, reaches that that attains that goal of being usable and searchable and discoverable or have those abilities in a marketplace while still being decentralized oh 100 percent. like technically it's like very possible i think you just need someone who's willing to take the risk to uh run it or, or distribute the op the open source uh software um to provide that marketplace without too much filtering um because i think you want to hit this kind of you want to hit this sweet point between like providing what the user expects when they open the application, which for decentralized marketplaces is probably um, more on the illicit side of uh, things. Mm -hmm. And the person who's willing to distribute that open source software and potentially face the blowback that, that they may get for distributing something like that. So yeah, definitely technically possible and probably wouldn't be that hard either as well. Like, yeah, I mean, this is coming from like this, I'm, I'm the CTO at, um, at Oxen, so I'm not necessarily the best person to talk about, you know, legal and all of that stuff. But yeah, technically possible. What is, what is Loki like compared to uh, Nim? Loki Net compared to something like Nim? Nim's going to be at Monerotopia as well. Just trying to kind of understand, you know, Nim versus Loki Net versus Tor. You just kind of give like put those three side by side. Yeah, so Nim is uh, more of what we would call a mixnet. Um, 
So they actually have techniques which will, uh, we often talk about this threat um, kind of in, in the anonymous networking uh, world, which is called a global passive adversary. So this is kind of a threat where the person is monitoring every single um, internet connection, which can happen. They're at the ISP level. They can see all of your traffic, both on the entry side and the exit side as well. Um, and this is like somewhat a realistic threat um, these days because, you know, we have organizations like the NSA who have kind of this global purview to monitor the entire internet. Um, and Mixnet's like NIM uh, take this like trade-off where they delay um, the sending and receive like, the sending of packets as they tra transmit through the network. And that provides some better guarantees against these kind of global passive adversaries at the expense of um, kind of having lower or having higher latency um, in the network and also lower throughput. Um, the, the difference between Tor and LokiNet then is that they don't really try to protect against this global passive adversary. Mm -hmm. um, they try to protect against a kind of weaker, um, a weaker level attacker, an attacker who can only see some portion of the network instead of the entire kind of global um, portion of the network. But the, in, on the other side of the trade-off, they get uh, way better latency and way better throughput. So yeah, it's really like a trade-off that uh, is being made. NIMS making uh, their, their model is higher security, um, but with lower throughput and uh, lower throughput and higher latency and uh, Tor and LokiNet are uh, lower latency and higher throughput, but uh, their security model is lower. Right. So basically, like with, with like LokiNet, you could basically fully use the internet the way you natively would. Uh, yeah. You're getting this privacy uh, protection. You're, you're, you're using the internet anonymously, uh, but not in a way that's as secure as something like, like NIM, you're saying, for, for certain types of attacks. Yeah. And you're, you're probably never, like, I wouldn't say this because I don't, I haven't talked to the NIM guys in a while, but you're probably never going to be able to do like uh, simultaneous voice and video calls through NIM. You'll probably never be able to like download torrents and like you know larger file sizes through NIM. Um, they're focusing much more at like a transactional layer, like sending a transaction through NIM is totally possible. Potentially sending messages, although bandwidth um, communications is possible uh, through NIM. Um, and yeah, so they're they're kind of focusing on a different market. I love that you likely will be talking with them in person at Monerotopia, at least some representative from, from their team. That's that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we run into them every um now and again because they're like in a very close um space to us. Like yeah, right. so we I think the last time I talked to them was like six months ago or something. So yeah, it happens every so often. One last question about Oxen, because I don't I don't know if I've ever we've ever covered this. So what is like the um coin supply? Is it the same as Monero's? Is it and it's also go ahead. The the um Early on, the emissions was um, exactly this, like the emission schedule was exactly the same um, Monero's, but uh, the emission for Monero is like very um, heavy on the early side of things. So it like provides a lot of coins in the first, um, say, year of production of Monero. There was a lot of coins emitted and lowers over time because it hit, hits a tail emission. Mm -hmm. um, we have changed the token economics, so we have already hit the tail emission. Um, and it's just 16 and a half oxen per block, um, which will be generated for the rest of existence. Um, 
Okay. And why, uh, why, why 16 and a half? Why not like in Monero? It's whatever 0.6 tail emission. Um, why such a large or why that? Number? Well, there's less, there's less uh, supply or this. Oh God, this is, um, it's, it's hard to explain because uh, we've done a bunch of different things um, in, our, in our tokenomics um, here. But the 16 and a half um, oxen is related to the service and reward. So it's what we believe is the right balancing point between the amount of service nodes we need to maintain decentralization on the network um, and also provide enough reward for people to continue to run service nodes. So if it drops too low, um, what you'll see is service nodes deregistering from the network until you reach a balancing point. Because essentially like this 16 and a half oxen um, is given out at a per block level. So um, as service nodes deregister, they get more of this kind of 16 and a half um, oxen. And if more service nodes register, they're sharing less um, 16 and a half oxen essentially. So it's like a balancing point. Um, for the service node network to be as large as it is right now. Um, but then you also, like, it becomes complicated when you also take price into account there because service nodes will have um, overheads that are fixed in USD. Like, for example, they have to pay for VPSs and stuff. Um, so that becomes a factor in how many service nodes are on the network as well. How many oxen approximately exist? Like, uh, have been essentially um i think it's like 63 million or something like that okay is the total is the total supply okay and so um how about like a potential criticism that you know or whatever not you know it's some yeah i guess let's say a criticism that you know oxen is 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 too centralized in terms of its development right like oh we're gonna we're gonna change the coin supply we're gonna do this like you know which is great, right? You're, you're able to pivot and perfect the, the protocol and the apps that are built on it for, for your purposes. But does it arguably make it something that uh, may not stand the test of times in terms of trusting the blockchain that's underlying everything? Um, I, I like. I think this. You can map this argument like fairly uh, strongly, like back onto like Ethereum and Bitcoin. Like Ethereum is taking a more kind of active approach in terms of its like uh, supply management. So you like see that they changed their token economics recently um, with the merge, um, like reducing supply and having this burn mechanism. I think Oxen maps kind of more strongly onto the Ethereum side, um, and and uh, Monero probably maps more strongly onto the Bitcoin side, where token economics are fairly fixed um, uh, from from the point of origin. Um, so I, I don't think it's necessarily um, a critique. I think it's just a different style of, of managing um, the, the, the token supply and being uh, more flexible with that. But that obviously does have downsides as well um, in terms of, yeah, it, it's, unargu it's unarguably more like centralized to be changing like token supply more often. But it also gives you this flexibility that uh, say like a Monero, I think like don't have to a certain extent. Right, and this is what di differentiates these projects. Like once again, we're saying like you're, like Oxen isn't trying to be digital cash, digital gold. It's, no, it's not its its core value. Um. Oh yeah. So like, how about like actually like updates that we see in Monero, like technological updates, like Monero is going to, going to be adding Seraphis. Are these things that Oxen will likely adopt, or 
it de- depends on if it if it I guess makes it easier for your, for your apps to run on, right? Yeah, I think um, we probably will have another look at the privacy layer. Like um, Monero hasn't changed too much um, in the lot, like it, on the privacy layer side. We're still using rings, which is still using self addresses. Mm-hmm. You know, we've made some changes here and there to payment IDs and stuff like that. Um, but there hasn't been a kind of major overhaul um, in in Monero. I would say like they haven't switched to zero knowledge proofs, for example. Um, but like we're looking at a bunch of different privacy um, technologies right now and deciding what we want to do with the future of the privacy base layer. Like there's it's a lot of a lot a lot has changed since 2018. And I think there's a lot more out there now, especially I think the zero knowledge space has really developed in the last like two, three years. Mm-hmm. Um, so it would be interesting to see, I know um, Firo is talking about, um, uh, what's their, what's their privacy layer, Lolantis, um, yes, that they were talking about, and they're moving to another one. And Zcash is talking about Halo, which has solved a lot of the issues with um, zero knowledge proofs, you know, removing the trusted setup and um, providing scalability um, to a large degree that wasn't there before. Um, so I think it's like, time it, it's it's coming about time for us to have like a serious look at all of the solutions and decide like which one is the best for moving forward with base layer privacy i think it was pretty clear in 2018 what the solution was for privacy and it was monero um just because it provided like this great balance between usability um like uh, privacy by default as well like having all the transactions on the chain be, be default privacy whereas like Zcash had this like theoretical s- solution more that was only applying to like 1% of transactions. Um, but with stuff like Halo and Lantus, I think that gap is is um, kind of closing. Um, so I think more of the solutions become viable. And I wouldn't be surprised if Monero um, in the next like five to 10 years uh, gets rid of ring signatures, for example, and moves to- Yeah, more, for um, sure, for sure. Yeah, I think that's going to be a big topic of conversation at Monerotopia. Um, we're going to have a, a panel just on kind of the future of Monero tech. And I, I plan on making that a big topic of convo. Um, yeah, I, I, I like Luke, Are you familiar with Luke Parker? Uh, he'll be down there and he, he has some thoughts on that. Uh, he's, a, he's a Monero dev. He's building also Sarai. I don't know if you're familiar with Luke, but yeah, he'll be down there. No, but, yeah. but yeah, no, it's something that's, uh, you know, obviously openly discussed and the Monero community is excited about, but you're just trying to do it in the right way. So potentially could we, maybe we could see, you know, Oxen implement, you know, kind of lead the way, right? Uh, you know, so you guys, like we said, being more nimble, right? Um, not trying to be digital goal, less, less concerned potentially about making, breaking some things potentially along the way. Um, could, could we see you guys implement it? Like, sooner than later what what, what what's the, the thinking there yeah i definitely think um it could if, if like we yeah we have more flexibility than monero um we're not dealing with the same amount of of users at least at the um at the base layer for, for transactional privacy um so, so like i think there is an op- opportunity for us to take to to go a bit more aggressive on on some of these more experimental technologies um so yeah, I think that's definitely possible. I think we're going to make it like, I think the next stage is like just doing a review of like what is in the space right now though. Mm-hmm. Um, and trying to work out what the best technology might be um, to provide like the user base layer the most privacy. 
Awesome, man. Uh, yeah, I think uh, we'll, we'll call it there. So then you, we have some time and we can we can jump into the chat. I'm sure people have questions. We got a pretty deep in there. Uh, I think we did a good, like, we talked about everything a little bit. And I didn't want to zoom in on anything too much. And, you know, you're going to be down there giving your talk. I don't want you to give your talk here, essentially, and then give your talk again. <laughs> what are, do you have any idea what your talk will be focused on? Yeah, I think we're going to talk about kind of building, um, a second layer on top of uh on top of monero and how that experience has been um okay because you know forking monero and um dealing with the service network and all of that has been a pretty unique experience so i think that could be interesting to talk to the monero kind of audience about yeah 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 you got me excited so you're like kind of talking about like a light lightning network type thing on on monero i i, I don't know if we will talk necessarily about payment channels and networks like that but maybe more just about our experience uh like building this kind of second layer um surface or network on top of monero and how that's oh, been. Okay. I got and you. i think that that could be applicable to other people who are looking to build like directly on top of monero or um yeah like just thinking about like you know how you may bootstrap another layer on top of monero yeah, without getting too far into the woods, is there potentially, or have you think potentially a way to do it where you know a percentage of the coin rewards isn't going towards those nodes, but the nodes are somehow running on the network as a second layer? Is that is that feasible? Is that is that possible? Yeah, I think it is possible. It's just much harder to bootstrap a network without like a network emission being directed towards them, because then you need to rely entirely on fees from the users and getting that off the ground in the first place is trickier because uh, you don't have as long to experiment, um, you know, with, with users being provided rewards. Okay. Yeah. And we'll, we'll leave it at that. So, so we don't ruin your, your presentation. Um, <laughs> key man, this is awesome. Anything you want to put out there before we jump into the chat, like uh, resources, you just kind of throw all that, that stuff out there. Yeah. Um, if you want to have a try of session, um, go to get session.org. Um, we're on Twitter. We also have our own groups inside of Session as well. So if you want to talk to me, my Session ID is um, pretty public on uh, Twitter, but I'll also go by the, um, if you put in the name Key Jeff into a Session, you'll also be able to reach me. Um, I would say let's let's try and uh, let's try and push towards the, uh, the bull case uh, for Monero and Oxen. Um, I know I talked a lot on this show about like potentially the bear case. What could it was happen, a roller coaster. Right? First, first you, you beat us down and then you pick us back <laughs> up. We do it all the time. Yeah. So let's, I think it's really important that we all push towards, um, you know, making regulators, especially and, and us as users, like um, stronger on the privacy side of things. So we don't have to deal with that, that bear case, which I explained earlier. So yeah, that's all, let's all push this community forward. And I think that's a big part of what, um, Monerotopia and Monerocon and stuff is going to do um, is push that case um, forward more aggressively so that we don't end up in the space where you know Monero and other privacy coins are just like um, regulated. Unite to fight. Yeah, man. Um, I, I, lo I love what you guys are doing. You know, with Monerotopia, like you said, we wanted to bring the privacy ecosystem together, but we want to balance that against not, you know, giving a stage to pump and dump shit coins. So it was, it was a little, it has been a little bit of a struggle, you know, but, but like Oxen, it's, it's a very easy sell, right? And uh, at least for me personally, you know, like I've seen you guys grow over time. 
You're not a fly by night. You guys have been putting in the hard work, building unique tech. I mean, look at Session. Nobody, nobody can say anything there. Right? Like the the amount of actual real world use you're getting for this technology, it's it's a beautiful thing. And you're, the way you talk about the tech, you you know, you don't talk about it in terms of you know what Oxen is going to be worth. You talk about it in terms of the, the technology and the usability. So, kudos to you, man. And uh, I. I know Monero and Oxygen will continue to work together in this ecosystem. So I appreciate all the work you've been doing, man. Awesome. Thanks, Doug. Um, all right. So let's let's jump into the spaces. So uh, yeah, if you want to just move over there. All right. I'm over here. Let me add Key. All right. And now uh, anybody that wants to jump up, ask Key some questions about Session or Loki or Oxygen. Yep. I got you. Awesome. Anybody, anybody, come on. I, there's got to be a question. We had a, we have a pretty group here. We talked about a lot of stuff. Just jump on up, guys. Any questions with regarding Session or Loki or Oxen? Oh, my, uh, my Duma, my Duma case from an error. I want to hear Bloom case, you know, the, they're going to regulate, they're going to ban Monero. They're going to knock on our demand. Nobody, nobody's got, nobody's, I don't know. We'd be doing a, a glitch thing here. People aren't able to request. I've had that before. Sunita, you want to? you want to see if you can request? I'm just curious. Oh, here we go. We got somebody. All right. Yeah, that happened to us last week. Nobody was able to request. Damn. Uh, I got Julian requesting. Julian, what's going on? Yeah. Uh, uh, hi, everyone. Uh, thanks a lot uh, for the for the interesting conversation. Uh, I, I personally try to migrate people to session. Uh, I think it's 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 a great thing, but uh, yeah, some people it's it's a bit hard to like convince people to to give up on some of the like you know the for example the the tons of stickers that are so well known from Telegram and things like that. <laughs> so uh, I'm a big fan of of something that is like really encrypted and going end to end, and, and also like having a decentralized incentive mechanism which is not reliant on. on central parties and, uh, yeah i think it's a, it's a great thing um yeah and I, I must say in the conversation like one thing that uh, uh i basically i kind of share your concern uh, that if if the if the politics actually goes for like uh, a ban of, of holding monero i think this is going to be a tough it's going to be a tough time i know some people say it's going to be great and we are all still going to continue it but to continue building it but I think I think most people are going to be afraid, and yeah, like I don't know. I just hope it will not happen. That's just... <laughs> yeah. Wow, a lot, a lot of doom and gloomers here. Go ahead, Key. No, I think as I was saying at the end, I think it's for us. It's it's up to us to make sure that we don't get to that point. Um, and I think if we if we push privacy forward um, enough, we we won't get to that point, hopefully. And I think it's starting to become more clear now um, to people how important privacy is. And we've seen that especially like with more and more adoption of sessions. So I hope the same thing happens to Monero. And if Monero is adopted to, um, or Monero and Oxen are adopted to a, a certain extent, it'll become impossible for um, new regulation to be passed. So. We just need to get more more users, basically, and get to a critical mass where it's where it's really hard for them to to pass new regulations. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, that's you know, I kind of uh, had a little back and forth with Seth for privacy. Um, Seth, I'm sure you're familiar with Seth. He's quite popular. 
Yeah. And he, he recently kind of, you know, not that he's, you know, he's, he's a Monero user, Monero lover, enthusiast, but he's kind of moved his efforts towards pushing uh, the growth of Bitcoin privacy tech versus uh, pushing Monero. And uh, I think, you know, obviously absolutely nothing wrong with that, but I do think there's this need to, to push people into things like Monero now. Uh, so we could have that, you know, large enough network effect where if something were to come down on us, uh, we would have the momentum to essentially fight against it. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, Danish, what's going on, man? Hello, hello. Thanks for having me up. Uh, long time Monero user and fan, uh, and long time Oxen user. And um, I was uh, wondering a couple of things. Uh, first of all. If Oxen has considered maybe trying to see if either the Loki net node or the uh, relay nodes can run on something like Flux to like build a decentralized net on a decentralized net, and it requires like a Docker instance. But if uh, the Loki team has uh, thought about that, uh, that's my first question. Um, I, I'm assuming Flux is providing uh, like some sort of decentralized uh, hosting or, or storage. I, I, I've not heard of the, that network before. Um, yes, Flux is basically a, a decentralized uh, VPS service. Okay. Uh, you can host whatever nodes and stuff on there. Uh, and yeah, it works great for something like pre-search decentralized search engine and uh, th- those nodes, and they're pretty lightweight. Uh, basically cost like half of what it does to host otherwhere or other places. So what's considering if uh, you might want to look into it because it's uh, for me is like inception wise, making sure that we have decentralized nodes uh, running stable on places where they cannot be taken down. And since I don't even know where my pre-search nodes are located when I host them there, uh, it's, you know, I still control them. I still do all that, but it's hosted the, uh, yeah, yeah, sensor uh, censorship resistance. So yeah, I think it's a actually a super good idea um, because yeah, LokiNet, uh, you know, can provide this this network where both the server and the user are, are anonymous and they can connect with each other through this onion routing network. But it doesn't say anything necessarily about the hosting um, of that server. And if the hosting of that server is centralized, that's still um, a point of failure that can exist. One of the things that we did look at um, kind of in the last uh, few years was uh, hosting stuff on Arweave, which is kind of decentralized storage network similar to uh, IPFS. Um, and that also provides decentralized um, hosting. So there are actually some Arweave sites that are up on LokiNet um, right now that are decentralized in their hosting and private um, in their access uh, via server and the user is private as well. But yeah, no, Flux sounds um, super interesting as well. And I don't uh, think it would be hard to integrate into LokiNet as well in terms of if you can host something with a with an IP address um, or internet connectivity, then you should be able to host it via LokiNet um, as well. So yeah, it sounds like a, an interesting integration. I'll, I'll write down a note to check it out later. Awesome. I would love to see something like that happen. Um, and their website is run on flux.io, uh, if I remember right. Awesome. Uh, but it's, um, yeah. It could be cool for me, at least. I think that this kind of decentralized inception is where we need to go because, like, 
we need privacy. We need to be able to, good or bad, be able to have our things out there. Uh, I mean, yeah, I've been trying to explain that for many people, and I don't like. I still don't understand how it can be so hard for people to understand that privacy is necessary. Um, but my second question, I'm sorry. Um, how far are the uh, session team with message uh, pay- payment through uh, se- uh, session? Because the Telegram team are uh, with Ton has like the last year now exploded. Uh, so it would be really nice to see a private version of of payments with a messenger. Yeah, um, we're we're basically building this thing um, called Wallet Three, um, which is kind of a streamlined version um, of of this piece of code inside of Monero, which is called Wallet Two, um, which is. Uh, very complex um, inside of Monero and makes uh, integration into applic- or Monero uh, wallet integration into applications um, quite a bit more difficult. Um, and since we're inheriting that code, it, it makes it a little bit difficult for us to integrate um, wallets into existing applications. But with Wallet 3, we're trying to develop a more streamlined um, wallet interface that we can integrate into other applications. Um, so I think that work is going to really power um, the integration of the Oxen wallet into, into session. Um, it's definitely something we want to do, and it's actually on the roadmap um, for this year as well. So I think you'll be seeing it the the later stage um, of this year. Hopefully, we'll be able to um, integrate the the Oxen wallet into into session. Very cool, man. Awesome. Very cool. Thanks, um, thanks for having me up. That was all I uh, had to ask for to uh, today, and uh, keep up the amazing work, both of you. Yeah, man, you. Fanta- fantastic questions. Uh, Key, any any chance uh, like Monero would be added to to this as well uh, as a way to transact Monero? Um, I think it would require a, a wallet three. I don't know if it has a way to interact with Monero. I don't know if it, if it is something that we could upstream. I know that the Monero team has been picking away at wallet two um, and trying to refactor some of that code. Um, yeah, it would be interesting. Um, to be able to upstream some of that, um, and also, you know, to be able to support Monero inside of the session um, experience. I don't know. I haven't really thought about it that much, actually. Yeah, that, that would that would be epic. Uh, meow. Oh, Julian, go ahead. Or right, let's let's get Meow. Meow. I think Meow uh, didn't talk yet, and then Julian will go back to you. Meow, what's going on? Hey guys. Um, I heard when you were talking about the. Um, I think the term you used was like global like persistent global threat can you remind me what that term you used was yeah global passive adversary okay global passive adversary so um i was kind of wondering if um because the example that you used was like isps that are kind of like privacy defeating and i was wondering if you have if you think there's other kind of large major vectors that are kind of similar and uh like the scale of threat. Like I don't know if um just thinking out loud if um uh, like compromised hardware is uh, something that is like a real threat or I'm just wondering if you have somewhere to add on that. Yeah, I think um global passive adversaries uh most often uh, not just a singular IP, but if you go kind of, or a singular ISP, but if you go one level up from an ISP, you have these things called autonomous systems, um, 
which kind of provides smaller ISPs with access to the internet. And then you'll also have like these uh, levels of exchanges as well. So you have like regional exchanges, then you have like kind of international exchanges, which usually will happen through like undersea cables under the under the, the, the water. And I think it's already been shown um, in some government papers that the NSA um, and the security agencies will actually tap the internet um, at the undersea cable level, or at least where the undersea cable um, first meets an exchange on the mainland. So they'll, like the NSA will actually have like rooms inside of these exchanges where there's kind of a, a side tap uh, where they get data from the, um, the, the cables that are literally um, traversing the entire world. Um, so that, that's a bit concerning because that means that like even at a global kind of level, you have, um, you know, like Five Eyes states um, collaborating with all of this data that they're getting directly from undersea cables to be able to provide like a global purview of the internet. Um, and then, yeah, like a level down autonomous systems can also um, work with each other to try and get a better view of things. But I think when we talk about global passive adversaries, we're usually talking about state level um, actors who are monitoring um, the direct lines of communication for the internet. I think that's, uh, that's all I had. Good stuff. Good question. Good question. Uh, Julian, go ahead. Yeah, uh, one question. Uh, sorry, in case you already talked about it. Uh, but one question that, I, that, that, that came to my mind recently was uh, if there is anything planned regarding um, the bigger open groups, which are currently relatively centralized on, on session uh, due to the server aspect of it. Uh, but personally, I could imagine something where, um, and I, I obviously it's kind of like, I think part of the idea is that it's like expensive to run them and that, that that's why it's hard to integrate them. But could there be something like, uh, I don't know, someone um, paying for a certain amount of volume, but having their group like hosted in a decentralized manner? And yeah. Yeah, there would be. I think it becomes kind of expensive at the, the bandwidth or, or uh, rather the storage level. Because you can imagine if you have 5,000 people um, in an open group and they're, they're chatting fairly often, then that storage requirement on the service network becomes quite high. And you also have, um, you know, 5,000 people polling um, for messages and you could have many of these open groups as well. Um, so I think the cost that you would need to compensate to the service zone network to provide that service would be fairly high. Um, I think right now the open group model makes quite a bit of quite a bit of sense for larger open groups, and it's something that um, other services are, are deploying as well. Like if you see Element and Matrix, they all all have this idea of kind of like a home server where you know this is centrally hosted, but you get to choose. Um, which home server you belong to, right? So you can try and uh, work out which person you trust, or if you don't trust anyone, you can host it yourself. Um, but I think like usability wise, it would be way better to have this hosted on the service or network because then people don't need to set up their own servers. They can just click one, one click and start up open groups and stuff. So I have thought about it, but I think the cost that you would need, that the user would need to pay to set up something like this would be kind of a little bit more prohibitive and may, not like may discourage uh, the, the setup of more open groups that were like kind of decentralized. But, but the, the question is kind of, I wouldn't see it as an, as an either or. I think kind of it's, I would more see it as like choose, choose your fighter, right? I mean, like mm. either 
set up your own server and, and host it yourself, but then also like like pay for every, any kind of volume yourself. But on or on the other hand, like like use our decentralized service, which which may be suitable if for some reason you cannot host your own server. But then also that could be a revenue stream for the whole protocol in the sense, right? Yeah, it's not actually a bad idea. Um, especially like, for example, maybe if you... Like currently we have this swarm network where messages are replicated um, typically like seven times um, to, to ensure that if a service node goes offline, you still have um, somewhere you can retrieve your message from. Um, but if we lowered that level of uh, replication down to like say three nodes, then our storage requirements would go way down. And then, yeah, maybe you could incentivize that, that smaller swarm of service nodes that we're dealing with your open group um, directly. Um, that could be a good idea, definitely. Is it technically a bit complicated, but um, yeah, definitely an interesting idea. All right, you're getting some good ideas in this room, man. Very, very productive. <laughs> uh, hold on, I got uh, Black, oh, Black Jesus. I'm adding you right now. <clears throat> uh, just for anybody who's listening, I put a link to Monerotopia.com in the nest up top. We're going to be having a conference in Mexico City. I'm assuming most people in this room have probably already heard about it. Uh, McKee will be one of the speakers down there, along with um, some others from the team of, of Session and Oxen and LokiNet. And so uh, check that out. Come down to Mexico City, hang out with us. If you can't make it, we're also selling a virtual conference ticket. And we just created a discount code you can use. It's, I think we have ses Session or Oxen, either of those you can type in. Yeah, you get 20% off. Um, but yeah, you know, if you can't make it, do the virtual conference, which is kind of cool. Uh, but we will eventually be posting all those in content for free. That's obviously all about getting out there, but to help finance the conference and to, you know, if you're looking to participate virtually, Q&A, kind of be in the chat rooms as the conference we are offering. Um, Black Jesus, go ahead, man. Yeah, Luke, can you hear me? Yeah, we got you. Okay. Um, I just came on now and... Um, I'm a big fan of um, Monero Topia, and um, my question is, you know, Monero Topia is a big ecosystem on its own. So, um, what more are you guys, you know, um, now I see we are approaching a, 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 a bull market. So, what are you guys, what are you guys putting in place, like, to salvage the whole or to take advantage of the the whole situation. What is Monero Topia taking advantage for for potential upcoming growth? And what, uh, if you could just rephrase the question just a little bit. Okay, I mean, like you know, now um, Monero uh, Topia is a big ecosystem on the zone right now. You know, it's a big project on the zone. But my question is, you know, we're in a we're in a uh, we're let's say we're approaching. You know, we need to be optimistic about this. We're approaching a um, a bull market now, you understand? So what is Monotopia and the, their teams doing to salvage um, this bull market, to take advantage of this bull market? What are you guys doing, you know? Yeah, so you mean Monerotopia or the Monero cryptocurrency? I just want to make sure I understand. Yeah, I'm talking about the Monero cryptocurrency in particular. Okay. The Monero ecosystem is doing the same thing it's doing every day, whether or not we're on the brink of a, a bear market or a bull market, which is just uh, improving the tech, uh, trying to be more and more digital cash-like, right? With each with each iteration, um, constantly fighting the battle of maintaining privacy, 
And uh, in addition to that, growing out the ecosystem and promoting the actual usage of Monero versus, you know, uh, for speculative purposes. So I think Monero does a good job as an ecosystem of just kind of always keeping its head down uh, and building and promoting the use of, of the growth of usage, not so much speculation, not so much being worried about whether we're entering a bear market or a bull market, but promoting the actual usage so people actually using this stuff as digital cash, start transacting with it, start selling goods for it online and services, start creating apps around it that, that accept Monero. So, I mean, that that's what the Monero project and is really focused on. And uh, in terms of being ready for, you know, for, for more people to enter the network, I would say uh, Monero is 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 waiting and, and ready for for users um, for more users. I don't think there'd be any any immediate issue there in terms of being able to handle uh, more usage and more transaction count. I hope that answered your question. I'm not sure I entirely uh, grasped it, but I hope I, I got it. Yeah, 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 we did. Yeah. So all right, cool, you. cool. Um, anybody else have a question related for key and then we'll, we'll call this the last question. If anybody's got, um, Julian or Danish, anything you guys want to, f- uh, round it out with? I know you guys, you guys seem to follow Oxen pretty closely. Any remaining questions? Just thanks a lot for the, for the space. It was really cool. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, no. And, and thanks for bringing the, the really good questions. Uh, I think you guys gave key some, some, some good ideas here. Key man, thank you so much for doing the interview and then for sticking around for the spaces. Greatly appreciate it. No, hundred percent. Um, love what you're doing here, Doug, and um, it's really excited to go to the conference. Oh, and... I don't know if I, if it's just me, but I can't hear Key right now. Key, are you talking? Uh, sorry. Uh, hmm. Can you hear me now? Uh, yes, he is. Uh, apparently, uh, you can't hear him. So if you're going <laughs> to end the space, it's probably good enough. All right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Danish. Yeah, I'm but gonna... uh, but yeah. I apologize, uh, Keith, for not being able to hear you. Uh, but yeah, once again, thank you so much, man, for, for hanging out with us. Really excited to hang out with you in person down at Monerotopia. Um, I will uh, be, be buying you a drink down there, my man, for, for coming so far from the other side other side of the world to hang out with us at Monerotopia. Uh, to everybody else that's listening in, thanks for joining us, guys. See you again. We do these shows every week, these Monero talk shows. We do them kind of on random days during the week, usually on a weeknight around 7 p.m. We interview different people in the in the Monero and privacy tech space. And then every Saturday at 11 a.m., we do the Monerotopia live show, which is a community-based show where people can jump on and you know uh, speak their piece. And yeah, once again, Monerotopia.com for anybody that's interested in attending the conference, either in person or virtually. All right. Adios. Thanks, guys. Thank you for joining us on this week's episode. We release new episodes every week. You can find and subscribe to our show on YouTube, Odyssey, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Go to Monerotalk.live to subscribe for a full list of places where you can watch and listen. If you want to interact with us, guests, or other podcast listeners, you can follow us on Twitter. And please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps people find the show, and we are always happy to read them. So thanks so much, and we look forward to being back next week.